You know, Jesus warned us that in the end times, deception like a virus will spread like wildfire. Disguised as the answer to all our problems, our secular culture can only offer replacements to the truth. The good news is that the truth of the Bible is the cure. In Pastor Jack Hibbs' new book called Living in the Days of Deception, he reveals the antidote to the lies we're told that have become increasingly harder to detect. From the inspiring foreword written by Mike Pompeo to the final chapters, Pastor Jack exposes how to combat deceptive spirits and equips us when we're deceived by the ultimate liar, Satan himself. Living in the Days of Deception by Jack Hibbs is a powerful must-read, and when you order, you can bundle by getting the DVDs and a downloadable link for a gift of any amount at jackhibbs.com radio. That's jackhibbs.com radio. Real Life presents the Jack Hibbs Podcast with intention and boldness to proclaim truth, equip the saints, and impact our culture. God is in this for the long haul, and that it makes sense to God, knowing you, that your life suffered what it did to bring you to a point that you can remember now the promise of God. And he says, I will take that which is broken and I will restore it. I will take that which is dead and breathe life into it. I will take what man engineered to destroy your life, I will use to bring about a great blessing in your life. You can get the outlines of this podcast by going to jackhibbs.com slash podcast. Today, if this podcast lifts you up and encourages you to live a more fulfilled life in Christ, then make sure you leave us one of those five-star ratings. To us, that's like saying amen or yes. Then that rating will encourage others to listen. Now open your hearts to what God's Word has to say to you. Here is Jack Hibbs. Suddenly, their grief was being challenged. I like this. Listen to this. On the screen, Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. Matthew 28, 1. The Bible tells us, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning. Remember that? They insert other women with them. So the women, ladies, the women, were the, according to the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the women were the first ones to the tomb. Did you know that? And all the women said... And uh, look, I love the guys. I'm a guy. Here's the thing. The Bible tells us that all the men were in hiding for fear. I'm just telling you straight up, guys, we need to step it up. Uh, Jesus has risen from the dead, so we need not hide in fear anymore. We are men, and God's called us to be godly men, and we need to be dynamic men for God. But uh, 2,000 years ago, the, the ladies got us. They got us beat. They came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. That's a whole other story. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. You, what, are, what are we saying to this? That suddenly their grief was being challenged. What's going on here? We've got the women on a Saturday working hard to prepare, right? Myrrh, fragrances, oils, cassia. There's a list of these perfumes that were used for embalming, not embalming like the Egyptians or like we do, but this is outer fluids. They put the oils around the wrappings of the body. You're, they're not allowed to work hard on, on that day. But the Bible says in Luke's gospel, I believe it's chapter 23 around verse 56, the Bible tells us that they prepared the spices and rested according to the commandments. That is absolutely impossible 
But there's only one thing that can make that verse possible, and it's this. That if they're forbidden to do any menial labor whatsoever in, in according to the commandment, then what were these women doing working so hard to prepare the fragrant oils? It was all down out of love. They went to the tomb to put those ointments on his dead body. You got that? Did you see that? Let me, let me ask you a question. Did they go to the tomb expecting him to be resurrected from the dead? Nope. They expected him to be dead. Their faith, as it were, had been lost. The one that we believed in and thought of, the one that did all of these amazing things, turns out he couldn't do it for himself. It turns out this didn't turn out the way that we were expecting. And we are going to go first thing Sunday morning and we are going to wrap his body with oils. It's what we would have done had he been taken down from the cross so fast. He's dead and they're grieving. And suddenly, a big question mark is introduced into their grief. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ challenges grief. Suddenly, number two, we see suddenly that there's a collision taking place. A collision. A collision of truth and reality. Verse 24, or chapter 24, verse uh, 2 and 3, I think it is. Yes? It says there, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Suddenly, there's starting to take place a collision of truth and reality that's happening right in front of them. The Bible tells us that they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now, it should be stated for the record, Jesus did not need the stone to be rolled away for him to get out. Okay, you need to read your Bible carefully. The stone was rolled away for the people to get in. Jesus was gone before the stone was rolled away. He said, how do you know? Because the Bible says so. And then number three is this, awestruck. Suddenly they became awestruck. And that's a word we don't use much anymore, awestruck. It's a pretty fun word to look up. It depends on the quality of your dictionary, I've found out. But you, you need to go back to like, um, like Noah Webster's dictionary, the one that Noah Webster wrote. Awestruck is something that most often is reserved for like experiencing a miracle or something unexplainable, something that is beyond fantastic. It leaves you speechless. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door. <laughs> And I love these four words. And sat on it. Oh, that's sassy stuff, man. That is, this is one, this is an angel with an attitude. This is cool. I'll come back to this in a second. His countenance was like lightning. Excuse me, hello, what? You've got an angel who rolls back the stone and then sits on it. And his face is like lightning. What does that look like? I have no idea. And his clothing as white as snow. But you got to admit, he rolls back a stone and then sits on it. He, he could have leaned on it. That's pretty sassy. But he sits on it. And I don't know, in my mind, when they start showing up at the tomb, he's sitting there. And I see a little sparkle in his eye. Or a little gleam comes off his teeth. Like... Or, how about this? The angel rolls it back, sits on the stone. <laughs> like nothing. Or he could have said, you're welcome. 
Because from that moment on, there's a series of visitors to the tomb. And it ranges from different people. And they're mentioned either by name or by group. And of course, the women were the first ones. They were the first ones to announce, as I said earlier. But they were all struck. Absolutely amazing. Number four is this. Suddenly, they remembered what he had said. Suddenly now. You see, now they're starting to, things are starting to happen. The Bible tells us that in Luke 24, verse 4, that it happened that as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men, these are angels again, stood by them in shining garments or shining apparel. Then as they were afraid, listen, they were afraid, they bowed their faces to the earth, and they said to them, so the angels speak to those that are bowing down, those that are terrified. What, what I think is an amazing, but... but Almost a hilarious question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Now, now, one of us might have said at that moment, because we're in a graveyard? <laughs> the angels are not falling for it. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still with you in Galilee, and you can see the little lights come on over their head, right? Oh, Right saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day, rise again. Verse 8, what does it say? And they remember his words. Remembering. Suddenly they began to remember. Is God doing things in your life where now you are starting to put pieces together? Maybe that's what has brought you here today. Have there been things and dynamics and issues of life that's brought you to this moment? Listen, um, it doesn't make you feel any better, but honestly, it's not the feelings that's important. It's what you conclude. Your life and what you've gone through throughout your entire life, I know the human experience is, God, why me? But did you know that God is in this for the long haul? And that it makes sense to God knowing you that your life suffered what it did to bring you to a point that you can remember now the promise of God. And he says, I will take that which is broken and I will restore it. I will take that which is dead and breathe life into it. I will take what man engineered to destroy your life, I will use to bring about a great blessing in your life. I'm telling you right now. I would not change a thing about being a failed abortion. I would not change a thing about being somebody who stuttered all of their life, even to the point of trying to ask my wife to marry me. I stuttered all over myself until the day that God in 1983 supernaturally touched my mouth in an instant. Listen, I wouldn't regret anything of the rejection, the pain, and the hilarity I brought to people in school when I was the funny one in the class because the brunt of it was on me. They thought it was great to have me stand on top of the desk and try to read a book out loud while everybody laughed. Let me tell you something. I wouldn't change a thing. Stop leaning on the things that you say, oh, I can't do this because of this. I can't do this because of that. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ takes the stuff that you think crippled you and he makes them the biggest strengths of your life. I'm a failed abortion. I w nobody had a plan for me to be here anyway, but God did. Listen, I couldn't talk, but he touched my tongue. I haven't shut up since. Listen, I'm not, I'm not gonna. Whatever, whatever's going on here, well, my dad didn't hug me enough. Get over it. I'm telling you right now, come on, let's grow up. We gotta get over it because God's word tells us, I love you. 
For God so loved the world, that's you, that he gave his only begotten son. Gifted, his only son to us, gifted. You think about that. And number five, you need to be doing this, and that is seeing. Seeing like you've never seen before. Suddenly they were seeing him for the first time. The Bible shows us in Luke 24, 12, he, that is Peter, saw the linen cloths lying by themselves and he departed, marveling to himself what had happened. I love this about Peter. And somebody has wisely said, seeing is not believing, but believing is seeing. It's not blind faith. It's not dumb. It's not make-believe, which leads us to number six, and that is realization. Suddenly they came to a realization And this is precious, and I don't need to go long on this. It's simply this. On that new morning when the day dawned, the tomb was empty, and the Messiah of Israel, the Messiah of the world, was risen from the dead. And do you know what happened in that second? A new day dawned. Realization. Waking up to the fact that God wants you to understand that he transforms lives. Number seven, suddenly, they had an unstoppable hope. You couldn't stop them. By the way, hope is built on a promise. You know that? The only reason why you have hope in anything is because you believe in a promise regarding something. Somebody gave you a promise, and the promise cannot fulfill itself. The promise maker must be someone who's faithful. Thus, you have hope. It's kind of like somebody cheating on you, right? Your wife or husband cheats on you and says, I'm sorry, it just happened once. It never happened again. The cloud is over your head all the rest of your life. It's going to be a struggle. You'll make it, but there's a struggle. Why? Hope was dashed. Are you with me? We don't want to talk about it, but hope was dashed. Why do you reel your heart back in? Because you were broken. You were abused or hurt. So you reel your heart in, and you won't give it out. Why? Because you don't believe anybody anymore, and you don't even believe God. And God says, listen, I want you to hand me your unbelieving, doubting, fearful, terrified heart. Put it in my hand. I'm afraid you're going to drop it. Put it in my hand. And my friends, I want to make it very clear. God is not asking anyone of us to put our hands in the hand of any man or any system ever. It's Jesus only. That's why he came to hold our hearts, to cleanse our minds from guilt and shame. When you understand that truth and that reality that the power of the gospel brings to you on this day, you'll have an unstoppable hope. And you need that right now. Number eight is suddenly they're motivated. To say the least, Twelve people turned the world right side up with the gospel news. I find it interesting, church, that if you kind of dissect what's behind motivation, and you think about this for a moment, you can either be motivated by the love of God, the gospel of God, or you can be motivated by Tony Robbins. You've got to take your pick. Based on this, let this be the test. I'm going to go to a course. They're going to motivate us. Well, we'll see. Depends on what is said. Listen, because motivation is a reaction to a discovery of evidence. Motivation is the discovery to a a bit of evidence. What is it that you've discovered? What have you found out? What do you now know? Guess what that does? It creates confidence. Listen, the reason why you're motivated 
is because you've had a reaction to a discovery that you've made. And what that does is build confidence. And the end use result is joy. Joy. Let me ask you, have you been convinced regarding the evidence of who Jesus Christ is? Are you convinced of the empty tomb? You should be. Produce evidence that discredits that. You'll never find it. Motivated. By God's grace, we're motivated. In this verse, this verse, and I'll, I will have to bring this to an end, but I got to tell you, you guys, Mark 16, 8, I can't think of a more, this is so fun. This is one verse in the Bible. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb. How come? They trembled and they were amazed. And I love this. They said nothing to anyone. They were afraid. That is one pregnant verse of action. Can you imagine? Reporters there, excuse me. Are you guys coming back? Excuse me, you guys. <laughs> they went out quickly. They fled from the tomb, for they were trembling and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Sanctified emotion. They couldn't even talk to others. The other day, she's not here right now, I can say this. Lisa was watching a portion of the Passion of the Christ. And I was just as early morning, I'm minding my own business, sitting with my books. She comes walking out and she's crying. I thought somebody died. She had her phone in her hand and she's crying. And she can't, you know that? And she goes, watch this. Well, I had just been reading about it in my Bible, but Mel Gibson made it graphic. And it just got her. You've seen it a hundred times, but it, it may get you or may not get you. But it got her. And she couldn't talk. She became speechless, right? Let's be careful. We, don't, we do not remove ourselves too far from what these people experienced. Because they're just like us. Number nine, suddenly they came to life. Who did? The disciples. <laughs> Jesus is already alive. We're not talking about him. We're talking about them. Jesus says, because I live, you can live also. Is that awesome talk? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody goes to the Father but through me. Is that wild or what? Jesus said, if a person dies believing in me, they won't see death. They immediately pass from death to life. You know who had a problem with that? He said it was insane. C.S. Lewis said, cuckoo. This Bible stuff's nuts. C.S. Lewis, the great thinker, the great Oxford professor. C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Mere Christianity, The Great Divorce, you name it. Probably, quite possibly the greatest mind of the 20th century. And his buddy, J.R.R. Tolkien, says, you need to fix something here. You need to deal with something. Jesus said, if a man dies believing in him, yet he lives. Jesus said that he was going to be beaten 
and crucified on the third day be resurrected from the dead. C.S. Lewis's nickname was Jack. He said, Jack, you need to deal with this. And C.S. Lewis struggled with that because he wound up hearing the words echoing. Tolkien had said, Jesus is either a liar or a lunatic or the Lord because he's not good if he's just a great prophet. Then you would have misled people. Think about it. Those who believe in him come to life. It's suddenly they had a message to share. I said it earlier, and I'll say it again. You can shut your Bibles. The Bible tells us that God did not send his son into this world to condemn this world. Read the fine prints, because the world is already condemned. God didn't send his son into this world to condemn this world, but that this world might be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's a decision that you make to an offer he extends. This Jack Hibbs podcast, as well as all the broadcast outreach opportunities, are listener-supported. Will you consider partnering with us through a special gift? Go to jackhibbs.com to learn more and stay connected.